Uh, let's open in a word of prayer. Uh, Lord God, we've uh, heard um, so many stories this morning of how uh, you have um, worked in our lives over the last couple of weeks. Uh, and uh, we are so grateful for this truth, Lord, that um, you have uh, both made the earth and you continue to work in, in our lives and in the, in the world uh, today. Um, that you have, uh, as, the, uh, as the, the worship in Revelation says, Lord, that you have uh, created the earth and, and by your will everything is made and has been, um, and that you have ransomed people for God from every tribe and tongue and nation. Uh, and Lord, we are so grateful for the work that you have done in our, in our lives and in our world. Um, and we pray that as we uh, study this psalm this morning, that you would give us a greater appreciation for that and uh, cause our hearts, um, inspire our, our souls to once again come and, and praise you and stand in awe. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> I wonder if you've ever been at a restaurant and someone has said, Please give my compliments to the, fle- to the chef. Um, or maybe you've said it yourself at a restaurant. Um, it, it's a way that, that we say, uh, or asking the waiter to pass on uh, to a chef how much you enjoyed the food they made. Um, obviously the chef doesn't, being in the kitchen doesn't necessarily see um, the, the enjoyment that people get out of their food. Um, so it's good to be able to pass that back through the waiter. Um, And and so this phrase has some, some, I guess, rich connotations to it. Um, It's uh, it's a way of saying thank you um, to the person that made your food. But but even more than that, it it kind of acknowledges their craft um, or or it honours their hard work, um, admires their, their artistry in making this beautiful dish. Um, And I want you to sort of have those connotations in your mind as we approach this psalm. Uh, Because those connotations are what are are bound up uh, in the phrase that opens and closes this psalm. Uh, Bless the Lord, O my soul, or praise the Lord, depending on your translation. Uh, This phrase uh, in this context is all about expressing thanks to God for what he's done. We're admiring the artistry he is, he's put into this world, acknowledging his work, and so honouring him as, as a worker or a, an artist or a cre- the creator uh, of the world, uh, or chef, if you want to continue that metaphor. Um, David, who probably wrote this psalm along with the previous one, uh, David here presents God as a master craftsman, uh, the maker of the earth who made it with great power uh, and great finesse, skill and wisdom, like a a master chef or or a great artist or an expert sculptor. This psalm is a sweeping exploration of all that God has made uh, in this Wonderful poetry with, uh, with, with grand metaphors and, and beautiful uh, language, all of which is designed to give us a, a, a better appreciation for what God has done, 
to, uh, uh, as it were, help us give our compliments to the flesh, to the chef, sorry, to bless the Lord. Uh, Now, we've got two main points this morning, which you'll see in your bulletin there. Uh, We're going to spend most of our time uh, looking at creation um, and appreciating God's exceeding greatness, and then we'll close uh, with a few minutes looking at eternity uh, and God's enduring glory. Uh, So firstly, we're going to look at what this psalm has to say about God's creative work from verses 1 to 30. And in this section, uh, David points us to four aspects of creation. Uh, They all work together to illustrate what verse 1 says. Oh, Lord, my God, you are very great. Uh, Let's look at each aspect one by one. The first one comes from verses 2 to 9. And it's all about how God made the heavens and the earth. Uh, So David starts here in this psalm, really big picture. Uh, He's looking at at God's creation uh, in uh, in verse 2 of light and and space. Uh, You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. What a stupendous word picture here. Clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. That's, that's a big picture. Um, you would have noticed, I'm sure, um, it's kind of hard to escape, um, that there are, uh, at, at uh, sort of big movie events, there's often red carpets and, uh, and movie stars or... or those sorts of people will turn up and they want to be the best-dressed person there, right? They want to show off uh, how cool they are by by wearing the best clothes, wearing dazzling and expensive clothes, and they'll commission the the greatest designers of the world to to make them look as best as possible. Well, here we see that God is dressed in something... Striking, uh, and it's it's unlike something that human hands could ever conceive or create. Puts all those red carpets to shame. The radiance, the brilliance of pure white light itself. That's quite an amazing, a striking image to to wear light as clothes. Uh, likewise, if uh, we, we see God, just as we uh, would stretch out a tent um, as sort of a quick and easy sort of temporary dwelling place, that's how God stretches out the entire universe, as it were. Uh, and again, if, if God is, uh, if the infinity of space is like a tent that God just sort of puts up in a jiffy and then Uh, spends his days chilling in, what does that say about how great God is? Uh, And again, if the brilliance of light is the robe which God places around himself, what does that say about how magnificent God himself is? 
God's majesty is incomparable. His greatness is unimaginable. His glory is unattainable. And we haven't even got past verse 2 to the creation of the world itself yet. Uh, David continues in verse 3. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. He set the earth on its foundation so that it should never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a mountain, as with a garment, sorry. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke they fled, at the sound of your thunder they took to flight. The mountains rose, the valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass, so that they might not again cover the earth. Now, if you've read Genesis 1, and I trust that you have, uh, you'll know that this is basically a, a poetic recount of the first few verses of Genesis 1. Uh, it says that, that looking down at the earth, uh, God uh, created light and separated it from darkness. He separated the surface of the earth from the atmosphere, uh, the sea from the land. But to say it so clinically as that kind of misses the point of this psalm, I think. Uh, the, the poetry of this psalm is, is meant to conjure up in us feelings of awe uh, and, and celebration at the greatness of God. He made the universe, he formed the earth uh, so that nothing can change it and he did so uh, so spectacularly and easily just by speaking. And so it can't help but point to his infinite power and majesty. And so we can thank him for that. And that's the, uh, that's the first aspect of creation that the psalmist points to, the heavens and the earth. Uh, from here, David sort of focuses in more on, on the earth itself, how God's filled the earth with everything that we need for life, uh, which brings us to, to the second uh, aspect of creation, uh, that he provides us with food and water and shelter. <coughs> Uh, read with me verses 10 to 18. You make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen man's heart. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. In them the birds build their nests, the stork has her home in the fir trees. Excuse me. The high mountains are for the wild goats. The rocks are a refuge for the rock badgers. Uh, Verses 10 to 13 there talk about uh, mountain springs and flowing rivers, uh, providing fresh water for uh, farm animals, wild animals, birds, and, of course, humans too. Uh, Then verses 14 and 15 there talk about food 
uh, grass for livestock, bread and, and wine and oil for man. Uh, and verses 16 to 18 focus on shelter, uh, which birds find in trees uh, and, and uh, wild animals may, might find in uh, mountain crags and, and caves and those sorts of things. Uh, so food, water and shelter are, are the focus of this section. And I'm sure I don't need to, to convince any of you that those are really necessary for survival. But I think it's worth addressing the question of whether these actually come from God. Uh, I mean, if we think about wine, oil, bread, these are all things that people make, right? They don't come to us magically. Uh, can we really say that God is providing those? And even shelter and, and, and water, like shelter, we have builders for that. Water, we have plumbers. Is that, is that, isn't that something that we've, we've moved on from to say that God is, is provider of these things? We know better now, don't we? Well, I think David probably knew that the work of man that goes into these things. Um, they had farmers back then. They had uh, people who dug wells to bring water. They had builders. They knew what it took to make bread and wine and uh, clean water and shelter. And yet David still says that God is the provider of these things. <clears throat> uh, now part of that comes down to the fact that God provides all the raw materials. Uh, none of us has, of course, the power to make the atoms that would make up a loaf of bread. Uh, we can't make them truly from scratch. Uh, we, we have to use things that God has already created. But it, as we said before, as we've said all throughout this service, God still works day by day to provide us all these things. Uh, and he does that by working through the works of people. Um, if you're a farmer or a baker or a chef, God is using you, using your work, to accomplish his work of providing food. If you're a plumber, God is using your work to accomplish his work of providing water. If you're a builder or an architect, God is using your work to accomplish his work of providing shelter. And we can go on. If you're a healthcare worker or a mental health worker, God is using your work to help people cope in a fallen world. If you're a teacher or a stay-at-home parent, God is using your work to bring up a generation of people to serve him. If you're an artist, God is using your work uh, to bring joy and beauty to this world, and so on and so forth. God works through us to accomplish his purposes. Whatever you do, you are engaging in God's work of providing for and caring for his world and he is working through you, using you to bring about his purposes. <clears throat> and I think this has important implications for how we think about our own work and, and God's work as well. Uh, it gives us dignity and importance no matter what we do in our work. Uh, paid or unpaid, at home or away, uh, we are doing God's work. And it should give us a sense of, of uh, purpose as we go to work each day or do our work at home. 
Um, but it also displays the great power and, and providence of God that he would provide all these things that we need uh, in such a, a beautifully cooperative way. And that's something uh, that we can absolutely thank God for. <clears throat> uh, so that brings us thirdly to uh, verses 19 to 23. Uh, he made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows it's time for setting. You make darkness and it is night when all the beasts of the forest creep about. The young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they steal away uh, and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work and to his labor until the evening. Uh, This section is all about God making regular times and seasons for us. Now, unlike the previous aspect... I think this is probably something that we don't necessarily see as a a good or necessary thing in our world. Most of us, uh, if I can uh, generalize, if I can, uh, if you'll let me generalize here, I think most of us have a problem with time. Time puts uh, such enormous pressure on us. It it makes us feel constrained. How many times have you ever said... uh, Uh, There's not enough hours in the day to do everything I need to do. But imagine if God hadn't made the things that these verses talk about. What if there was no night, no weekends, no public holidays? Uh, We just have to keep working 24-7, 365 days a year. Not that those numbers would have any meaning. Or perhaps imagine if you went to bed not knowing when the sun would rise up the next day or how long you'd have to work the next day. Imagine how draining that would be. You'd you'd never get the chance to rest or you'd never know when to rest. If you've ever read C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, uh, you'd think of the the witch's curse that made it always winter and never Christmas. That joyless, draining state that the white witch cursed Narnia to endure until the great lion Aslan brought Christmas and then spring uh, and then joy and peace to the land of Narnia. That's what the psalmist is celebrating here in verses 19 to 23. He made the moon to mark the seasons, uh, or probably better translated, the appointed times, uh, as a reference to the festivals, uh, the great celebrations and holidays of the Jewish year. Uh, in the same way that we celebrate Chris- in the same way that we celebrate Christmas or Easter, uh, these are celebrations of God's goodness throughout the year. Uh, the sun knows it's time for setting. You make darkness, and it is night, uh, and down in verse 22, when the sun rises, man goes to his work and to his labor until the evening. God has designed our world so that we would experience regular rhythms of rest day by day. Uh, when the sun goes down, our bodies naturally start to wind down for sleep so that we can then be refreshed and go to work the next day. Um, And not just day by day, God has given us rhythms of work for each week, each year, uh, and and greater periods of rest that, uh, if we think about long-term 
long, yeah, uh, into um, different periods of life. And we have laws in our country about weekends and annual leave and long service leave and so on. Um, and those have their roots in, in, the law, in the laws that God had provided for Israel that David is thinking of here uh, that give rest and regular rhythms of rest throughout life. God has given us regular opportunities for rest rather than uh, subject us all to uh, to day to, to, to uh, endless day and night work. Uh, and so we should then see these limitations uh, as a great and merciful gift from God. God has given us times for work, times for play and times for rest. And so we can thank him for that. Uh, so we've looked at God's greatness in creating the universe his care in providing everything we need for life uh, and his mercy in giving us times for rest now the fourth and final aspect of creation that David points to here uh, is life itself Uh, Look with me at verse 24. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Um, I don't know if you've ever noticed, there's such a monumental array of living creatures on this planet. Uh, I've read one, one estimate puts it at 9 million species in the world. Um, to put that in perspective, if you gave each person in Australia a, a different type of living organism to hold, right? I don't know, maybe. <laughs> but each, each person has a different type of living organism. You would most likely only find one or maybe two other people in this whole country who are holding the same sort of creature as you. And that's not even counting the millions of species of microbes in the world either. All of them, from the greatest to the smallest, are entirely within God's hand. They owe their life to God. Uh, David points there in verse uh, 26 to Leviathan, uh, which is, um, we don't exactly know what that is, but it's it's obviously some sort of massive sea creature, uh, a great sea monster, um, a, a terrifying creature. <clears throat> and David says that sea monster is God's plaything. Uh, as kids, we had uh, a little wind-up shark toy thing um, that you would wind up and it its tail wiggles back and forth and it would sort of swim around the bathtub and little little thing that would go for a few seconds. The greatest sea monster in the world, says the psalmist, the, the sea creature that brings terror to us as humans, to God is just like a little bath toy. A, a little thing that he winds up and it putts, putt, 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 putts around the bathtub. Until he decides to wind it, until he decides not to wind it up again. Every creature, 
is dependent on God's provision. Uh, As verse 27 says, as a recap of all that we've said already, they look to you, God, to give them their food in season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open their hand, they are filled with good things. Uh, And verse 29, every creature is dependent on God for life. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth their spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the earth. All of life is in God's hand. He gives it whenever he pleases. He takes it away whenever he pleases. But of course, the fact that you're sitting here today uh, means that God has given you life. Uh, And so that is something that we can definitely thank him for as well. And so those are the four aspects of creation that point us to God's greatness. The splendor and infinity of the universe, uh, the provision of all that we need to survive, uh, the gift of times that we can work and rest, uh, and the diversity and continuance of life itself. And that brings us now to verse 31. And here I want you to notice that there's a a distinct turning point in the psalm. Uh, So far, David has been talking about who God is in light of his creation and sustaining the world. Uh, As verse 1 says, O Lord my God, you are very great. Or later on, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. But from here on, David turns to the future with an emphasis on eternity. Uh, He says in verse 31, May the glory of the Lord endure forever. Uh, So this is going to form our second point this morning. Uh, Or our our second main point, where we look at eternity and appreciate God's enduring glory. Uh, Let's look at the rest of verses 31 and 32. May the Lord rejoice in his works, who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. Uh, These verses point us to God's pleasure at his works. The psalmist hopes and expects that God uh, won't just look at his creation dispassionately, uh, much less with disappointment, rather God will rejoice at what he has made. Uh, Once again, this points us back Uh, to Genesis chapter 1. At the end of that chapter, having finished uh, his work of creation, God God looked at all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Uh, I wonder if you've ever experienced that when you when you sort of look at something you've made and gone, yes, I'm pleased with that. I've that's that's come up great. That's a job well done. I'm pleased with what I've made there. Well, that's the same way God feels when he sees what he has made. Uh, When he looked at the end of his creation week on the world that he has made, he saw that it was very good. He appreciated that it was a job well done, and he uh, rejoiced at that. Uh, And then verses 33 and 34, we see that the psalmist will rejoice too. Uh, Of course, we've seen David rejoice all throughout the psalm. Uh, and uh, the way that he celebrates God's good creation. But in verse 33 and 34, he uh, obviously commits to doing that into the future. 
I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. God will rejoice at his works forever. David will rejoice at God's works forever. And by extension, we are called to rejoice too. But I would hazard a guess that there are probably some things in the world that you don't really feel like rejoicing over. The world isn't perfect. There is uh, pain and sickness and death. Uh, all manner of things that uh, futility uh, and, and, and terrible things, curses that God has laid on the earth as a consequence of our sin. We've all disobeyed God. We've corrupted his creation. We've repudiated our creator God and, uh, and failed to acknowledge him and thank him. And in the process, we've contributed to the corruption of ourselves, each other, and the entire world. Indeed, less than five chapters after saying that the world was very good, God looked on the earth once again, uh, and it grieved him to see what people were doing. Genesis 6 verses 5 to 7 says, The Lord saw that the wickedness was great on the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the earth, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made him. Now, God didn't regret in the way that we do because he always knew that that would happen. He always had a plan. But it's important to note that there are aspects of creation that God deeply is not pleased with, that grieve him, that are not the way that he intended. It pains to see these things in his world. God is grieved by our sin all of humanity's sin and by the, the consequences that that has for his world. And so to say, as the psalmist does here, may the Lord rejoice in his works, I, I, I reckon that's a, a profound expression of hope and faith because it, it requires that God will put an end to sin and corruption and put the world right and that's what verse 35 points us to uh, let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more uh, now when i first read the psalm as tony said this morning that verse sounded quite out of place uh, the psalm all, all this far has been talking about god's creative work celebrating it and then it suddenly takes a dark turn to talk about destroying sinners for just this one verse but it's very fitting that the psalmist would put that here, since, uh, of course, sinners are the ones who have corrupted the amazing creation that, is, that he's been celebrating. But we have hope, don't we, that not all sinners will be consumed from the earth. God gives us the opportunity to, to turn away from that, to join the psalmist in praising him. 
Uh, Only the sinners who persist in their sin, uh, who steadfastly reject God all their lives will be consumed. The rest of us who turn to God, who pay our compliments to the chef, as it were, will be renewed along with all creation uh, in a state of eternal perfection that brings joy to God and to us. And Ephesians uh, 1 verses 7 to 10 show us what what God's plan is to do that. It says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. God's plan for the fullness of time, his plan all along, that in the death of Christ... In the blood of Jesus, in the, in the second person of the Godhead taking on flesh and sacrificing himself on the cross, he would redeem, save, renew all of creation. Uh, which is what we saw in the, in the passage that uh, Ricky read to us from Revelation, uh, where it talked about people uh, through the blood of the Lamb uh, being ransomed for God. Uh, and made into a kingdom and priests to our God. Uh, That is, Jesus has bought us, he has ransomed us, he has redeemed us, so that we can be priests, or or people who who praise him, as this psalm calls for. He is making us, uh, and he has made us, and he will make us, uh, into people who really do bless the Lord, as this psalm says. That's how we can, with the psalmist, and indeed how the psalmist could himself, bless the Lord. How we can sing praise to the Lord uh, as long as we have being. How we can rejoice in his works. Uh, It is because of Christ that we can look at creation and and see the good world that God made. Uh, It is through Christ that we can look at creation and hope in the glorious eternity that we will enjoy in it. Uh, And most importantly of all, it is in Christ that we can look at the past, the present and the future and see God's hand at work. That we can see God's amazing greatness, his his eternal glory. Uh, And we can see that as God continues to work to to sustain and redeem creation. Uh, And and, uh, we can rejoice in that, but one day uh, his works will be done. Creation will be fully renewed uh, with all the impacts of sin and corruption and death removed Uh, and as that happens we will be raised to life free from sin and death Uh, and we will rejoice at God's works as he will forever Uh, and so in light of of God's works of creation in light of this eternal hope Uh, Let us join the psalmist in praising God's greatness. Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, we do thank you so much for the the truth of this psalm, uh, the great and glorious uh, things that you have done to to make this world and to redeem it. Uh, Lord, we pray that um, as we... Uh, sing our final song and as we continue into our week that we would uh, acknowledge who you are and and just stand in awe and 
and thank and praise you for uh, what you have done and um, and how we can see uh, your amazing glory uh, in those things that you have done. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen.